0: Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian Gottlieb. And since we have a special episode, it also necessitates that we have a very special guest. And that person is a returning guest in Nick Prince. Hello, Nick.
1: Hello. How are you, Jerry?
0: I'm good. Better that you're here because I thought that I was going to have to go through this historic episode basically with just me and Brian. And... I guess Brian's been playing a lot. I tried to play a little bit. I didn't have a great experience, but I know that you've been playing a lot. And now you
2: get to talk for 80% of the cast.
1: Oh no, that's, I wasn't warned about
2: this. 80%. Surprise, Nick. You just have to carry the entire cast. It's all on you. We're going to sit back as you tell us all about the magical world of historic.
0: You're, you're the historic expert.
1: Fair. But Brian has also been playing, right? I don't want to leave him out.
2: Uh, a bit yeah I okay, mean like okay. look Jerry and I f- share very similar approaches to magic where even in our like most fascinated with a format, I think we both tend to do way more thinking than actual playing so even if I'm hardcore engaged it's not like I'm a hundred games a day type person so you know I've played my dozen or so matches of historic across a bunch of different decks and I have a sense of the format I've been looking really carefully at all the decks that are out there. And it's weird. I think we'll talk more about this later on. I, I already have a question picked out, actually, that I think addressed this really well. But it's weird to gather information in this format, right? Because there's mm-hmm. no real consolidation point for the metagame. And it feels old school almost in that way.
1: Yeah, it is super odd in that the most data we've gotten is out of one tournament series last weekend, where there was a lot of Team wreck And that's it, it's kind of impossible to know. Is that like a true reflection of the metagame? Is that a reflection of like the small sample size that we have? Is that a reflection of like what the best players in the va- that event were playing? I, I just don't know enough about it to actually like say one way or another what it was. Uh, and otherwise, it's just kind of like you play on the ladder and you see what you see and you have to make your best judgment calls from that. It's it's super like very Wild West of Magic almost.
0: Well, how how much have you played, Nick, in your estimation?
1: Uh, I mean, I I could take some random guess of games, probably, you know, somewhere 150 to 200 matches at this point, I would guess, like in total. I only started playing a few weeks ago, but I was really enamored by just kind of having watched mostly like Alley Warfield stream that the format seemed like really interesting and in watching how it developed and thinking like, wow, this format seems really, really interesting if you were to just combine Field of the Dead and Nexus of Fate. And then we were just talking And actually just brainstormed this deck and I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I like put it down for a day or two, picked it back up and it was a blast. And so it's pretty much since then I've just kept playing Historic because a week and a half later they like banned cards and gave us a bunch of jumpstart cards and whatever. And then the formats just developed from there. So I've just never, I've not stopped playing it. And, And I've really almost played zero standards since then because I just have no reason to, frankly, and Historic has been a lot more fun.
0: Even after they banned your your baby Nexus of Fate, it's not real. Okay, let's. That's not my baby.
1: I just love. <laughs> I I hate Nexus of Fate in like all formats except when you combine it with exactly a Field of the Dead because then I get to feel really smart going like, "Ooh, here's a land and here's an explorer and here you know, we made like eight zombies and oh gosh, what are we gonna do? And no, no, not uh, not Kenrith Nexus of Fate. I take the next turn too. kill you. <laughs> like, I have fun with that."
0: I mean, it is kind of fun, but oh, it's hilarious. then people who are playing it with Wilderness Rec uh, had a little too much fun and it had to go. And now we're left with a format that basically still has Field of the Dead and Wilderness Reclamation. And now people are combining those and it looks pretty busted to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that Field of the Dead will ever not be on top of the format. I just just kind of philosophically, I think that there will always be a best Field of the Dead deck and Wilderness Reclamation is kind of the other best half of things to do to pair it with, it feels like. And that is definitely where we're kind of starting the format, essentially, at this point, I guess. Like, the very first deck was Goblins, and I felt like that was all over Twitter for a day. But the format is very powerful, <laughs> surprisingly powerful for for how few sets there are on it.
0: Okay, so re- reeling it back in real quick, uh, there's the Historic Open on Arena this weekend, I may or may not play in that. We'll see. I I do like the decks that are good in historic. So I I wouldn't be surprised if I actually battle. I assume both of you are playing.
2: I have the one bullet that I will always fire into these events. Because I I like the way these events are set up in terms of time expectations. It's very easy for me to hop in, do my seven matches, see where the chips fall. uh, If it works out, great. If not, I reclaim my weekend and I go spend it. Outside in the beautiful weather that we are currently having up here in the Pacific Northwest, so it's kind of a win-win either way. I'm happy with either result, uh, but that's it. One bullet. I'm in. Probably going to be firing it with Team Reclamation. Although I'll we'll talk more about that too, because yeah. I do think like Teamer Rex position in, in this format. While I believe it's the best deck, I think it's more tenuous than it might be in somewhere like Standard, uh, where the power level is just. Team reclamation there is an outlier. Here, like Nick said, I think it's just like a very powerful format, and there's other stuff we can still look at.
0: Nick, you battling?
1: Yeah, probably. Um, unless I did say like on stream earlier, like if I really come to the conclusion by Friday, like that the only thing you should be doing is team of reclamation, I probably just won't because I'm it just feels like way too much like standard, and I'll just go play a different game or go hang out with my roommates or whatever. But I, after playing a bunch of games, like I don't think the team of reclamation is so far ahead of everything that it's unbeatable. And I think there are things you can do. And especially when the rest of the tournament seems to kind of, at least from like the conversations that are going on, which is basically half the data we have right now, just like on Twitter seem to be like everyone's getting like throwing up their hands and saying, well, I'm playing team of rec in this too. I think there are a lot of things you can do that are powerful against, team of reclamation that especially if they're focused on fighting mirror matches, they are just kind of helpless against. So yeah. uh, I, I have not given up on historic by any means. I was playing it all afternoon and I will keep playing it for the next couple of days to get ready for this thing. And I assume that I will be battling on Saturday.
0: All right, well let's, let's start with the, the top deck team of reclamation with of the dead also has explore and magma quake from jumpstart. I'm not sure why they thought Historic needed more gross spiral type cards, but here we are, especially with a field Dead still legal. I, I said that I had a little bit of experience playing Historic, and after an unsuccessful attempt to combo with Tishar and a couple of Luruses, apparently that just doesn't work on Arena, I played with this deck. And just after the first match, it was very clear that this deck was very powerful because you have so much redundancy with all the Explorers. You have Field of the Dead just being a... Very, very low opportunity cost win condition and backup plan to expansion. And then, uh, Magma Quake also just oddly happens to solve a ton of problems.
2: So, I, I wrote about this deck uh, over on Star City today, and basically, my analysis started with an assessment of how good this deck actually is. And based on last weekend's results, it's problematically good. There was two tournaments that I was able to find browsing through the data. Uh, In one tournament, 37% of the metagame played Team Reclamation, and the deck still had a 61% win rate. I don't know if that excludes or includes mirrors. I think it includes mirrors, which means it's actually better than that.
0: Yeah, that's wild.
2: The other event, only 15% of the field played the deck, but it had a 72% win rate, which is just like preposterous and there wasn't another widely played deck in either tournament that posted above a 50% win rate. So it's just like historic level dominance and pardon the redundancy there, but incredible incredible stuff from teamer reclamation and it's based mostly on the three pickups you mentioned it's magma quake to be able to deal with not only the aggressive rushdown, which previously was a problem because of like the storm's wrath tension where you had to give up your reclamation turn in order to sweep your opponent and they could claw their way back into the game now you get both so that's way easier you always ramp from two to four like 100 of the time because you have eight explorers and also playing somewhere between 30 and 32 lands, depending on your personal leanings. I play 32. I think the default is like 30 right now. But my experience has been, if you make your land drops, you win. So just make them and stop worrying about it. And then, of course, the final pickup, Field of the Dead, gives you inevitability in all these late game situations. I played a match against Azorius Control. And I literally, from the first turn of the game, was like, I can't lose here. It's just not possible. You can't You can't play a long game against Field of the Dead. So picking up all those points have left all the other decks in the format in a really, really big hole, it feels like.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting that these tournaments, I they obviously Team of Reclamation did very well. It is kind of difficult to parse just from me glancing at it, how much of that was kind of an innate advantage of like a prepared field knowing to fight Team Reclamation specifically, and how much of it was that three days earlier, the only thing anywhere in historic was goblins it was goblins. all muxis all the time and the cards for the most part that are good against wilderness reclamation aren't good against goblins and the cards that are good against goblins aren't good against teamer reclamation and so you pr- i'm imagining that when everyone looks at this format and they see well we have to stop Muxus. this is the only thing that matters this is probably what 50 percent of the format or of this tournament is going to show up with they're preparing for a metagame that had simply changed by the time it got around to the weekend. Uh, and some, and a lot of people kind of picked up on croakies, I think was kind of the big for or the first big name to play team of reclamation. But I'd been seeing count talk about it last Wednesday. I wrote my article last week was about kind of just an overview of historic at the time. And my very last article that I threw at the end was, Oh, I've been seeing this wilderness reclamation deck doing well here too. Very similar to standard. You combine it with field of that sometimes whatever. And then, you know, I wrote that on Wednesday by Friday, it was becoming more popular. I don't know that the format had time to adjust by Saturday and Sunday. Obviously having played since then, it's also still just incredibly strong, but I don't know that it's like that strong. I don't know that it's like 60 and 70% win rate across the board
2: strong. I, I agree with you. I agree with okay. you 100% because, because I think there's some actual weaknesses here. And one of the weaknesses that first pops out to me is what I previously mentioned as a strength Magma Quake. Like, Magma Quake is really, really good at dealing with two specific spots. It's really good at forcing your way out of the, like, Narset, Teferi almost locks that, like, standard Azorius decks would put you in. And it's really good about managing a super small battlefield, like Goblins puts together, or, you know, any other kind of uh, mana accelerant reliant deck, or, like, small uh, mono red decks, or small aggressive black decks, like, Really, really strong card in those scenarios. But if instead you just go big bodies, Rotting Regisaur, uh, Spawn of Mayhem, Questing Beast, there's there's a whole bunch of very reasonable large creatures that you can realistically play in aggressive strategies that Magma Quake is not going to do well against, to say nothing of just Flyers, because there's a big blind spot there too. And that really pointed me in the direction I took with my first attempts to come after Team Reclamation, and it's kind of easy to do so as these decks are built now. Now saying that I think team reclamation adapts better than many decks in history. Like it's just so good at having a new game plan in sideboard games, uh, even in the main deck, if you want, but you have to have figured that out and I'm not sure these decks have done that. Yeah. And from,
0: from my experience, like looking at different builds and trying to build my own version of team rec, it certainly seemed like the sideboards were just kind of thrown together. Like yeah. Aside from the mirror match and Goblin, stuff like that, you didn't really have a clear enemy.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good assessment. And even with main deck cards, like there's a whole bunch of slots that being treated as flex slots where I saw a bunch of mystical disputes or Thassa's interventions or even some Tail's End, which I, I think is actually an interesting card in the format, but still very unfocused in a lot of ways and not really clear about what you're going after. To me, it seems like Aethergust is just the card you're looking for. Like I mentioned some big green creatures. I mentioned the mirror in opposing wilderness reclamations. And of course, like just hitting Muxus is a big deal. So I am more inclined to have Aethergust in my interactive spots than any of those cards I mentioned previously. But still, like that's assuming a lot of things. And there's a lot of other ways to come at this deck once you know it's a real thing.
0: Right. I, I was basically just saying that like, say, you know, mono blue or something with Rotting Regisaur becomes the way that you attack Team Aurek, then they will adapt. But there's definitely going to be a period in between there where, like, they don't have the right tools because yeah. they just have, like, scavenging use in their sideboard, which doesn't do anything, you know? Yeah. So uh, we're, we're going to be doing a dance in the next couple weeks, I think, where people adapt to Team Aurek. Team Aurek does a little bit worse. Team Aurek adapts to those and then does a little bit better. You know, maybe the matchups uh, in some cases are not solvable, but at least they'll pick up some percentage points. And uh, we're also still like fleshing out the rest of the format where uh, like Jumpstart added a a bunch of potentially good cards and there are the anthology sets and stuff like that. Like there's a lot of stuff that people haven't perfected or even really started to work on yet. So Team Wreck is the de facto best deck currently because it's pretty obvious in how you want to build it and Feel the Dead is still oppressive to like a lot of different strategies. But I do think that this is a format, at least, where it can be dethroned. I'm with you.
1: Yeah, I agree. I've had, it's interesting because you mentioned one of the cards that I think is has been very strong, which is Tail's End for me. Just because when you're looking for cards that overlap between Goblins and Wilderness Reclamation, because Goblins has still been all over the place, and I assume that especially in the best-of-one portion, it's still going to be all over the place. Tail's End feels like actually a pretty reasonable spot where a lot of the ways that a blue deck is going to lose in these like kind of drawn out games is shark typhoon Mm -hmm. making its presence known, And it's a counter spell for shark typhoon or the important part of shark typhoon, which is the giant shark. So I've actually, I've actually started using that in some of my lists uh, because it can counter both muxus and the shark that I end up dying to all the time.
0: God, I, you just made me realize that the first part of this thing is best of one, which I'd forgotten about. Yes, it is.
1: Oh yeah, I guess we, <laughs> I guess we didn't actually explicitly talk about that. Saturday is just best of ones, so that's fun.
0: Yeah, it's not great. Oh well. Let's I'll, check. I'll... Let's
2: check in on that at the end after we've talked about all the decks and like given our opinions sure. and see if there's anything that gets a staunch upgrade in best of one.
0: Yeah, I so I had this list of decks that we're going to talk about. I'm going to skip around a little bit because we mentioned it briefly. Goblins, Nick, are you a goblins expert?
1: Uh, not 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 an expert by any means. I've played it. I've played against it a lot. I feel pretty comfortable in talking about what it can and can't do.
0: Mono red and Rakdos. Talk about both.
1: Uh, so the mono red version of goblins is typically a lot more focused on just resolving Moxes. How are you defining Rakdos? Or like are we count we're not counting the the Phyrexian land that sacrifices a creature and makes two no. black as Rakdos, right? Okay. No, yeah. no.
0: That that card is just busted. I just mean like all the so Death absurd. Dweller.
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay, we're on the same page then. So the mono-red versions, like very, you know, shout out to Austin Yost. He was the first, the one who I think made kind of the most streamlined version that I've seen the most of in terms of just mono-red, which is you cut all the like kind of all the obvious cards you would include in Goblins, like Fanatical Firebrand and Goblin Chain Whirler, And your deck is basically Skirk Prospector and Wily Goblin and Goblin Warchief. That's the one that discounts them, if I remember right. Correct. Uh, trying to get out muxus as soon as possible and if you don't know what muxus is and you're interested in playing historic uh, they are four red red for a four four goblin legendary goblin when they are cast you look at the top six cards of your library and etb etb nick oh sorry yeah sorry when it's uh when it enters the battlefield uh you look at the top six cards of your library put all goblins with converted mana cost five or less into play but with all the creatures that All the goblin lords that give haste, you then usually just attack for the win with some arbitrarily large number of goblins. Krenko Mob Boss, which is a, I think that it's rare from like Ravnica, one of the Ravnica sets. One of the most important pieces of this deck because with haste, you can basically double the number of goblins you have and they can feed another Skirk Prospector or whatnot. So it's a very resilient combo deck that, in my mind, it's a combo deck. It plays more like Scape Shift than an actual aggro deck because... If all you're trying to do is just wrath their board a couple times, you're just going to lose to a Muxus coming off the top and basically being six cards all by itself. The Rakdos version of the deck plays a little bit more of a fair game. They play um, Dragon Skull Summit and Blood uh, Blood Crypt to be able to support Call of the Death Dweller and try and control the board a little bit more, especially useful in the mirror, because Goblin, Chain Whirler, and Call of the Death Dweller together is a very impressive combination of cards where uh, you basically yeah. are just building Machine Gun. Yep. It also plays well with Fanatical Firebrand and you can get back Conspicuous Snoop, which is another key card in the deck.
2: Yeah, I want to give a shout out to a version I saw from uh, Carolyn Kavanaugh. it is Rakdos Goblins, but there's no black cards in the main deck. It does still have Phyrexian Tower, which seems super smart to me because, like you said, it's basically just about Muxus. And then it's, again, still the streamlined Muxus build you know, for Skirk Prospector, for Muxus, for Snoop, for Wily Goblin, all the stuff you would expect to get you there as soon as possible. And then the sideboard has access to Goblin Chain Whirler, Call of the Death Dweller, and some Duress as well. And I really thought, as far as Goblins builds went, This was the one that impressed me this weekend. This was the one that felt like, okay, here's a Goblins deck that actually contemplated a format that was going to do things to try and slow it down, to try and stop it. And it had some strong B plans. It had plans for the mirror, whereas the other versions I saw were still just like that super streamlined version. And those decks got obliterated in both these tournaments. The win percentage was 45%. And that's... Both versions combined, uh, 47 and 57 was the record. So not a good showing from goblins, but I think this Rakdos build looks markedly stronger. And most of what took up that percentage of the metagame was just straight mono red builds.
0: Okay. So what do we think going forward? This is just like something that uh, is just default. One of the most powerful things that you can do in the format, but people are able to adapt to it fairly easily.
1: Yeah, basically. I mean, because... Like, I think it helps to think about it like a combo deck just because it kind of points out how many points of interaction you have with what they're trying to do. Like, I never would have guessed that a Goblin's deck was going to be incredibly vulnerable to Diggers Cage. But if you play <laughs> Diggers Cage, their deck more or less stops functioning. They can kind of try and get there with, like, mediocre beats, or, like, if they resolve a Krenko and start making a ton of Goblins, that's kind of bad. But if you're not prepared to handle, like, a few creatures, then... You weren't gonna beat those strategies anyway. Whereas graftigger's Cage shuts off the scariest card in their deck. And they have to actually like sideboard with that in mind and whatnot. And that's just one card. They can't really beat counter magic. It's weak to disdainful stroke and tails end out of nowhere. Aether Gust is everywhere. There's a lot of ways to stop it. In instant speed wraths are incredibly effective against them, because and that that's why Magma Quake is so good, frankly. Uh, because if you let Muxus resolve, you can just blow up the board in combat and then it doesn't matter
2: what they did whatsoever yeah my sense of this deck is that the default power level is very high if for whatever reason the format stops respecting it it will steamroll a tournament but there are so so many good cards against it right now and i think it's going to need some real legitimate b plans before it can really get back into the metagame and i I just don't see them. I mean, you've got 37 creatures in your deck. So it's like you kind of only do this one thing and it's going to be real hard to diversify your game plans uh, and not take away from that explosiveness that's so critical against a lot of other decks in the format. So I'm not predicting a big rebound for goblins, but if it stops being respected, it might just go off.
0: All right, for the next group of decks, I'm going to be very disappointed if you two cannot help me out with this. Uh, Bant Ramp. Or Golos and Azorius Control, kind of all looping these together as like the mid-range decks trying to fight off the format. And between the two of you, I feel like y'all should have played a lot with these decks.
2: If they were playable, then maybe I would be on board with that. But I just think like running these into Team Erek is a recipe for disaster. And I, I don't buy the whole, like, I have Teferi, so I'm good against Team Rurek, especially now. Like I told you, playing against Azorius Control with Field of the Dead in my deck, it it felt easy. And granted, I, I'm not in Mythic. I just don't play enough volume. So I'm playing against competition, which is not the staunchest competition. So I'm going to have an edge in those long drawn out matches in most cases. But it, it's just from a strategic standpoint, it doesn't seem like you get much benefit from doing these watered down versions of Team rec, which punishes so many things so, so well. I'm hurt. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news.
1: No, because I'm just, I just don't know what, what alternate reality we've stepped into where you're saying that Azorius control is unplayable. And I'm over here like, actually, I think Azorius is a
2: reasonable choice. Uh, no, sir. Not interested. Well, uh, you, maybe you could tell me, tell me your plans. How are you answering these team erect decks? I, I know you're not the type of person who's going to go, well, I have Teferi in my deck, so I'm fine. So you've got something to tell me about.
0: Well, what if you have, what if you have Teferi and Field of Ruin? Surely you're fine then, right? <laughs> I do I mean, not think it's so. not, a, you mock that. It's
1: not a bad plan. If you have a bunch of Wraths, which you want against go, uh, Goblins anyway, you have a bunch, you play four Field of Ruin because you just need to blow up all of these all of their fields and then suddenly their B plan is non-existent and they just can trip a lot then what do you have to worry about exactly uro and explosion and you have a ton of counter magic. Sharks and then and sharks sharks. Are terrifying. sharks is the sharks is the one part that i f- had to go to tails end for and then even then like i got the matchup to a point where it felt reasonable i don't know that i'm favored or whatever but like just like i i've been winning but like you said i don't know that that means that it's good or
2: if i just like you know,
1: played better or whatnot, but it doesn't feel bad
2: either. It feels like every card in the team of rec deck is legitimately a problem for you. And granted, it's 30 X lands and eight explorers. So if you're only playing 20 cards, they better be very good cards. Right. But they are in this case, like they're, they're very, very challenging cards for Azorius to account for. And it's just these... I always had so many more cards than they did and I was able to pressure their mana where I had all the mana in the world and I had the uncounterable threats and I just was making them dance like I was able to push them into corners where there was a certain turn where they didn't have access to. Field of Ruin. Even though it was on the battlefield, I forced their mana on that turn. So I just go like explore, explore, growth spiral, Fabled Passage, and I just made an army out of nowhere and then they're dead no matter what they've done. So again, I'm banking on a lot of skill disparity, but I do think really good team erect players are going to be able to force that a lot and haven't seen anything that impresses me out of Azorius. Just like Big Teferi in a format that got some really meaningful pickups, Big Teferi doesn't feel like that big of a deal to me.
0: So I I agree that Field of Ruin is not a great answer to Field of the Dead because of the mana investment required. And, like, you know, things like you're talking about, where you just get ahead with a field on a a specific turn and then they're kind of priced into wrathing and don't have time to use Field of Ruin, stuff like that. It makes me think that the matchup should be more about actually stopping the early acceleration and, like, not worrying about the late game stuff as much.
2: Yeah, I agree with you in the abstract uh, that I'm, that is not, a good thing to do. I'm not saying it's doable.
0: I'm just right. saying that like that's that's where you should probably be trying to focus.
2: Yeah, and I felt this way about like when I was rebuilding Mono Blue, for instance. Like early lists of Mono Blue I looked at had no spell pierce. And I was just like, no, this is wrong. The way you can participate in this matchup is by challenging these acceleration spells. So I agree with you. I just don't know that Azorius Control has the tools to take advantage of that as quickly as you need to against these decks because there's there's so much redundancy there like you're just gonna find another ramp spell and do it over and over again but your your point is sound for sure
1: i would say that i think in best of three that this deck is that azorius is not well positioned like just because it is too close although i think i i'm not certain which one is actually favored but it's close enough that i don't think it matters and i if i have to play against this matchup probably four of the eight or whatever matches on day two i probably just want to be playing a different deck I think for best of one where they have, you know, Magma Quake is okay, but incredibly mana intensive, especially if you're just smart about not ticking down to fairies and stuff like that. Um, and you can kind of get the jump on them in that, you know, maybe they have a couple mystical disputes, but they don't, they can't really afford to have a ton in a format where in best of one, they're going to be decks are going to be much more aggressive and just like having ether Rust in the wrong spot can be deadly or having mystical dispute in the wrong spot can be deadly or whatever. I think that in best of one, Azorius is pretty reasonable. I would not play it in best of three, but I think that it's actually fairly solid as a choice in best of one because you can beat Goblins and Team of Reclamation.
0: Next up, we have Gruel Aggro. No more Burning Tree Emissary, but this deck still seems solid to me. Uh, this is one of the decks that I actually lost to. I got Outsized on my Magma Quake, certainly, and then uh, Goblin Ruin Blaster post-board is obviously pretty tough uh, when you have some actual clock to go with it.
1: Gruul seems to me like it should be solid against Team of Reclamation. It's filled this role before where it was the deck that punished the the Reclamation deck just before the bannings. Slowing down a hair is a little problematic, but on the other hand, they no longer like win the game if they untap with Wilderness Reclamation. They usually have to like get a couple explosions off or whatnot so maybe it's just okay to be a little bit slower because they're a lot slower now yeah. versus before where what would scare me is like actually the goblins matchup i don't you really only have one plan and that's just hope they die before they resolve amoxus agree that scares me but if that if that matchup's on the downswing then like maybe that just doesn't matter anymore it's very possible that like if you make it to day two of the tournament registering this deck is just a good choice because maybe the goblins players aren't there
2: Yeah, I would say something to the effect of like try jamming a bunch of Digger's Cage because the other card that I think is problematic is just call the Death Dweller plus Goblin Chain Whirler. Sounds like uh, a nightmare for Gruul. So this is a deck I like in theory because of the sizing aspect that we talked about before. I just think that there's probably a better way to do this in the format. Like this is going to be uh, a worse version of the large aggro deck. And I keep coming back to riding Regisaur, but like I, I tried to do this basically with mono black and you get the acceleration of Phyrexian Tower. Turn to Regisaur is really good. I saw Robert Taylor, you may know him better as Fire Shoes, uh, the person who does more coverage than any human being really should possibly be able to do uh, and tells you exactly what everyone is playing, what decks are doing well. Uh, Robert also built his own decks and came up with something along the lines of Llanowar Elves, Gilded Goose into uh, Rotting Regisaur. This was like a Nomori deck and he still had Phyrexian Tower. And the mana looked a little bit shaky to me, but I thought the core seemed really solid. And I think I think Robert has tweeted about that if you want to take a look at what he was working with. It's like the same principle where you just accelerate a little bit, put this big dumb thing on the battlefield and these team erect decks don't really have any way to play back at you. I think they're going to start picking up more Aethergust, which is why I'm really incentivized to look for the Rod and plans over these gruel plans. But maybe that won't come true. And maybe I'm the only one super high on Aethergust right now.
1: I would be surprised about that only because I've been seeing, like just even today, I've seen a lot of Ethergust, So I don't know that I don't know that I would count on other people not making the same move. It's just such an obvious one from standard. And yeah. I think that another big part of Frankly, why Rec is such a quick pickup and has become so much of the format so quickly is because everyone already has a build, and everyone already has some team Wreck experience. Who's playing Arena because this was the format for you know six months or whatever? They already have know all the moves. It feels like uh, at least in terms of like kind of the standard moves, I suppose. There are a lot of cards in Jumpstart, and there's probably things that nobody knows exist because there's. It's kind of hard to even just figure out what's legal in, in historic sometimes with Jumpstart because so many yeah. things were reprinted, but anything that's already standard legal, I would assume is on most people's radar. And that's kind of the assumption I've been making. So like the last week or so.
2: Yeah. Along those lines, I, I was mentioning how I thought maybe like green, black mana was a little shaky. And now I have pulled up Robert's deck list and realized it has ancient ziggurat in it. So that really yeah. cements a lot of the problems. And just looking through this real quick now, just so people have a better idea of what I'm talking about. It's got the eight one man accelerants, Garrix Harbinger, which I think is just like a pretty sweet card. Starting to see some pioneer play three Phyrexian towers. It's got questing Beast, spawn of mayhem, gore claw, nightmare shepherd, bone picker massacre worm as the rest of the creature base. So able to kind of fight those goblins where, you know, we mentioned gruel, maybe having a problem there. Robert put together a real plan against goblins. So he had a lot of success with this deck. I thought it looked quite good. Uh, I was very intrigued by it.
0: Yo, Bone Picker Phyrexian Tower is nice.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of good synergies here. I I thought the deck looked really promising. Nice.
0: All right, cool. Next up, Mono Blue Aggro Tempo, whatever you want to call it, and Azorius Spirits trying to come at the format from an angle of a little bit of aggression with some counter magic to back it up. Azorius Spirits is more of just like, you know, pump your creatures, I suppose, but Uh, Mono Blue Aggro, I know, is a deck that Brian was interested in. Have you played with that at all or just write about it?
2: I've played with it a little bit. Again, it it felt fine. It It does the things I want it to do. And that huge blind spot for Magma Quake was just glaring in the matches I played. Like It was so intense and they just didn't really have any real plan. You have plenty of counter magic you can lean on. Using Spell Pierce to challenge their early plays, I think, is important. The list I'm seeing still tend to go Brineborn Cutthroat. I really dislike that card, and I just want more spells to pump my Terramanders. That's really where I'm getting my big bodies from. Also, cards you don't know that are in Historic, Actual Curiosity is there as well. So if you want, you can just build uh, Four Curious Obsession, Four Curiosity, so you always have that one mana, get your extra cards flowing. And I know you both played some Mono, Blue, and Standard, you know the difference between having that curious obsession and not having it. It's like you're playing with a different deck. and again, this is kind of like the explore situation. you just always have it now. you always have that setup. So uh, I think more one drops leaning a little bit harder into that plan and this deck has some potential. but and there's always a but. I just am clueless what you're supposed to do against goblins. So you can go to like four ether gust and some cages, which is what my plan was, but does not strike me as a particularly good matchup.
1: Yeah, I've seen a lot of Cerulean Drakes running around. I don't really get what it's supposed to do. Like, I guess it blocks Muxus.
0: I mean, that's... that that doesn't do enough.
1: Well, right. Like, I'm just like, I don't... Like, it's certainly there. It stops you from dying maybe instantly if they don't have Krenko. I. <laughs> but that's about all I can say about it. There really doesn't seem like there's a good plan against Goblins, but it, it does fall into the category of like, if Goblins is on such a decline and there are... In the days after kind of Muxus was realized, there were a lot of decks that popped up that were designed to beat up on goblins uh if if that's it's kind of feeling the effects of those and going away, it doesn't matter what mono Blues matchup against goblins is because it's not going to be played. I would not count on that on in in the first day, but the second day like, I just anticipate a ton of team reclamation and then you're probably just gonna like
0: three one or four oh you're if you're playing against it half the day. Uh, What about Azoria Spirits? The only reason I bring this up is because thinking about things that should be good in the format and don't necessarily have a home, like this is one of the decks where you can actually play Thalia.
2: Thalia is nice. I haven't really put the work into Azoria Spirits to put out uh, a a good summation of the deck. I'm assuming we're like a lofty denial deck. And I I think that card is also very good. And I, I have the sense that I'm going to appreciate the greater quantity of interaction that the mono blue deck is going to have over just like dumping a bunch of bodies on the battlefield especially in post-sideboard games but it it really depends how people react so i i could see a home for azoria spirits as well
1: one thing i will note about that deck because i did play against it a couple times Like, the fact that you... Spirits almost feels like a misnomer. It's just, like, basically, like, flying tribal with favorable winds and Empyrean eagles, right? Yeah, that's fair. Like, that deck actually does a really good job of just killing people, and you don't need that much disruption, right? Like, you don't need 20 counter spells if you only need to counter one thing with a Lofty Denial. So if you just play four Lofty Denial, like, and then some, I assume, probably, like, four other counter spells, and then Mostly just creatures and, a favor- and then favorable wins as your really cheap Glorious Anthem. You might just get there on that damage alone. You don't even need to mess with any of the like Curious Obsession, Curiosity, Sea Dasher, Octopus stuff if you don't want to, because right. they're just going to be dead. Who cares about having more cards in hand?
0: Yeah, that plan is way better against Goblins because with Mono Blue, you're like, all right, I have a couple 1 1s or whatever. I need exactly. to counter everything that they do, and they just manage to go wide under your counter spells. Whereas Spirits can actually race and then have Lofty Denial for Muxus or whatever, and then yeah, maybe that's think, good enough.
1: The only thing that's tricky with Lofty Denial is that the Goblins deck sometimes can just make 12 mana or whatever, and then it does not matter against Muxus, because yeah. they'll just sacrifice more things to invalidate your counterspell. So I do think you have to have like a little bit more something, whether that's either Gust or Disdainful Stroke or
2: Tail's End, End or whatever,
1: yeah. but... Just another two mana counter spell that handles Muxus, You don't even if it's just Ether Gust, which we've already talked about a few times. Like that feels totally reasonable. You don't need to buy more than one turn against most of these decks when you're beating them down in the air for another eight points next turn, and they're just dead.
2: One other macro point that really works in favor of a deck like Azoria Spirits: there's no removal in this format. Like nope. it just doesn't exist. It's not a real thing, and it's it says a lot about like. The periods from which we are drawing cards here, like this is 2020 magic, and a lot of the defining factors are 2020 magic. And also the supplemental set of high power is jumpstart, which is like you understand why it's incentivized to not have very good removal In the set, given its intended purpose, like you're supposed to play limited style games with creatures on the battlefield and expensive removal spells. So it was never going to be about good removal. It's just not what the set is. And that's not a really flashy addition when you're doing the historic anthologies. Plus, they purposefully downgraded removal, which now, having played the format a bit, is such a bonkers decision. Like saying, no, lightning bolt can't be here. It's too good. And seeing what's present in the format is just like why what what are we doing by taking away lightning bolt actually having one meaningful removal spell in the entire format because like pioneer has fatal push no fatal push here it's just absent there's there's nothing on par with the quality of other cards present so that's a really really good point in favor of the Azorius spirit stack pillar of flame not doing it for you i don't think so i don't think that's gonna get the job done
0: Funny thing is, is Lightning Bolt
2: might actually help the team of decks more than anything. But uh, Maybe, but that it, was that was not the concern. It was just like, know, this card's too good.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you get rid of uh, Feel of the Dead or Reclamation or whatever, like then, yeah, it becomes a, a net positive for the format, I think. Yep. Uh, another deck in the vein of, well, I owned this in standard already, <laughs> is Recto Sacrifice. Uh, to me... You get some cool stuff like Stitcher Supplier, Phyrexian Tower, but this seems so underpowered compared to what everyone else is doing.
2: Hard agree. Yeah, Phyrexian Tower is a really, really powerful magic card. Like I don't want to undersell that one, but the rest of this deck is just the standard deck plus Stitcher Supplier and Stitcher Supplier feels like a, oh, I'm happy to have this card, but it doesn't change what you have going on like it's small upgrades for all your other stuff and most of these decks aren't even doing like Croxus stuff and that would be the biggest potential upgrade when you're stitcher supplying so these decks continue to do really well on the ladder like i see tons and tons of people posting very high mythic uh numbers playing almost exclusively racto sacrifice so i don't know what to make of that uh in the tournaments they were almost absent they just weren't a factor and my read on the deck is that it's a little underpowered for everything else that's going on.
0: I tend to like Rakdos instead of Jund in general, like in the in the scope of standard, but I actually feel like for Historic, the best way to approach this sort of archetype would just be playing a bunch of Towers and Bullets to Citadels and just trying to combo kill people. Yeah, I buy that.
1: My only problem with that is that if the format is already kind of moving in a direction where like Tail's End is present, like that's just kind of the same problems or whatever. Yeah. You just end up doing a thing that the format's already preparing for. It's already ready for kind of ground creatures. It's already wanting to have graft diggers cage anyway. Yeah, graft diggers cage. Like sure. it it feels like it's a deck that was meant to prey on goblins and then accidentally lost all the same cards that goblins lost to. And also yeah. I still don't the builds of the decks don't make any sense to me. I don't get the stitcher suppliers. I still don't Unless you're playing Croxa, but none of them are. The only person who was was Allie. <laughs> and then I haven't really seen her uh, her list appear anywhere outside of her article last week because I think that it kind of failed, that the whole archetype fails to the same things that Goblins does.
0: Yeah, I've, well, from the Junk side of things, I think, well, that A, we're not at a place where everyone is like main decking Tails End or anything. Sure. We might We might get there, you know, but we're not yet. And... I agree with Stitcher Supplier not really fueling anything all that much, but I would try to look for a way to do that. Like I would be wanting to play maybe more Village Rights and Call the Death Dwellers and stuff like that. Probably not Croxa, but I don't know. I feel like Stitcher Supplier versus any Gutter Bones type of crap that you would be playing otherwise is probably an upgrade, even if you're not going super hard on it. But I would probably not play it in the Jund one.
1: I don't have a whole lot more to say about this deck. Like, I just, I, I've lost to it a couple of times. It feels like it's kind of, you know, stuff happens. Variance doesn't go my way and then I lose to it. But I don't feel like it's well positioned. And I really would be surprised if it's good against Team Reclamation.
0: Yeah, agreed. I, it needs an overhaul. Kethys or uh, Underworld Breach, any sort of like diligent Excavator combo deck? Brian, I imagine you've played with these quite a bit.
2: Yes, I have. They're... Solid-ish. Like, again, a lot of the same problems where these are battlefield-focused combo decks. So it, you're basically like worse Goblins in some instances, which is which is bad. If you're going to do this thing, like do the best version of it. If you're just scooping to Magma Quakes and Graffdigger's Cages and those type of cards, then I I just think like you need to find the optimal version, which is why... Uh, I was higher on Breach than Kethys because I thought it had some potential for turn threes. Once I found out the deck just doesn't work on Magic Arena, that dampened a lot of my enthusiasm. But I also think it has some positioning problems as well. It seems like it will struggle with a lot of Magma Quakes. I started messing with Song of Creation. It's not as good, but there's something there. There's a lot of redundancy in your zero mana artifacts. I don't know. I I want to spend more time on that idea because I think if you're working with one of these archetypes, what you're actually looking for is a glass cannon turn three deck. Like that's the only way these are going to be better than presently available options. And I don't think Kethis or Breach can reliably get to that point where it felt like Song had the potential to maybe get there if it was tweaked properly. I didn't get there, but it, it just is more appealing to me than either of these two decks right now.
0: Yeah, the, the moral of the story for these two decks, I think, is that Chromatic Sphere enables some weird things with, like, Luris yes. and Diligent Excavator, uh, Tashar, Emery, and it, it's nice that it exists, but it's also kind of scary.
2: Yeah, there's also Kinnan, Bonder Prodigy, which is right, another yeah, card yeah. that, like, I have messed around with. I mean, that's what's in my Teamer song list right now. It's how you go off with, like, your Mox Ambers and Chromatic Spheres, so... That needs to be explored more. The Kethis stuff. I mean, we talked a bit about Kethys with Neoform in Pioneer. You could do that here too. I don't know if that really solves any problems though. It's just like you're you're not struggling to be a resilient combo deck that eventually puts this stuff together while surviving. You're struggling to be a combo deck that can survive having your battlefield swept and direct interaction with what you're trying to do. And I don't think Neoform really solves either of those problems either.
0: Nick, any experience?
1: I've built a lot of decks trying to beat Team and Goblins and a couple other things that just really don't do well against the kind of traditional Kethas deck. I have played a couple times against the more Kinnan-focused one. I haven't lost to it, but I don't know if that's that the lists aren't tuned. I don't know if that's that they can't exploit the Lurus interactions correctly i'm just not totally sure although i haven't actually seen that come up in any of my games that i remember i remember watching emma do it and it worked for her so i don't know what it is that causes this interaction not to work but maybe that's why i'm not seeing it just almost at all is people are running into this bug and then drop the deck because it's like well if i can only count on this to do actually work sometimes or it just never works for me or whatever then i haven't played against that i've just seen a little bit of it
0: yeah, I mean it, this is historic we're talking about, which is arena only. So, I mean, if the deck doesn't work on arena, like why bother playing it? But exactly, yeah. The, the thing that uh, we're talking about that I ran into on the first match I played with uh, a breach deck that Major sent me was having Tishar and Luris on the battlefield and a Chromatic Sphere and another Luris in the graveyard. So, I would cast the Sphere from the graveyard. Using Luris, trying to shard back the other Luris and then sack the old one, keep the new one, which would allow you to keep playing the chromatic sphere. And I also had a Kinnon, so I'd be like generating a mana every time and like draw my deck, whatever. And Arena, it didn't tell me like which Luris was which, or maybe it just doesn't matter and it never allows you to like refresh the Luris or anything. I don't I don't know exactly what the deal is, but I just kept trying to go through this combo and set it up, and Arena just wouldn't let me. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, th- I think Majors came to the conclusion because he said he tried it against like Sparky for a long time, trying to figure out how to get it to work. And it is specifically related to to Char and Loris. Like for whatever reason, those cards have to be involved. Uh, but just came to the conclusion that you can't make it work. Like for whatever reason, you can't get a refresh on your Loris in this scenario.
1: Okay, well there we go. <laughs> I guess I guess that we shouldn't play that version of Reach. So that's the best advice we have. <laughs>
0: Sparky just shut it down.
2: He was like, no, no, sir. It's unfortunate because it's like really, it's a really powerful interaction. And like the addition of Loris to Kethys in particular, when you're playing it, you're like, oh, if the format had time for this, this is some really, really powerful stuff. Like if these cards were in standard together, they would be mind blowing. But the format has to be about this thing and you have to have space for it. And I think the best decks squeeze out the space for it right now.
1: How much do you think we have to pay Sparky to like bug wilderness reclamation for a weekend? Just so we
2: don't have to play against it in any format. <laughs> Sparky is not for sale, and I'm kind of offended you even suggested <laughs> that they would consider this offer.
1: I have no good opinion about Sparky after I've I'm like 0 300 against Sparky lifetime. Never won. because there was a while where for whatever reason, when you would go to requeue, it would put you against Sparky yes. instead. And I played hundreds of games that I just instantly conceded against Sparky. And so I have no faith in Sparky to make good choices or and not be corrupt, because I think that Sparky did
2: that on purpose. Don't blame Sparky for Arena's mistakes.
0: He's just lonely, man.
2: That's just funny. You know, someone to play with.
0: You know, the backstory of Mimikyu, that's basically Sparky. He's just trying Aww. to make some friends. Poor Mimikyu. Yeah. Okay, that's sad.
2: All right, next up.
0: Next up, Mono Red Aggro. Go, someone.
2: Only if you're Sandy Dog. That's the the only time it's right. Sandy Dog will always win with Mono Red Aggro. Nobody else will. Aaron. Aaron as well. That's another good point. Yeah. But specifically in Historic, it hasn't struck me as a good option. I like having the potential of like a turn... Three kill if I'm going to get aggressive, but like we're talking about magma quake, right? And so if the whole format is focused on magma quake, then having the reach of burn spells starts to get pretty appealing. And I guess my input would be that if I was going to play mono red aggro, it'd probably be like Viashino Pyromancer, Wizard's Lightning, Light up the stage, and as much burn as I could possibly put into it.
1: I got run the hell over by that deck earlier today. I think like all of the mono red versions I had seen up until today, we're all just like the standard versions where it's like, well, I'm going to, there's all these fields of the dead, so I'm going to play Embercleave and Anax and whatever. Uh-huh. And nope. then somebody, yeah, and then someone cast turn one G2 Lava Runner against me today, and I was like, oh no, I know what that means. And I just like, the next three turns, I just got hit for a million. And I, there was nothing I could do because I wasn't set up to fight a battle over burn spells. And even if like you have Ethergus or whatever, like, so what? They paid one mana for their skewer the critics or whatever, or one for their wizard's lightning. You've basically just played a two mana healing self. It's terrible. See lightning bolt would be too good. I mean, I was, I almost said it then, but I figured I could talk about it in this section where it's like, we basically (laughs) already
2: have those cards. You can just play the wizards. (laughs) Right. Skewer the critics. Yeah. There's, there's lots of ways to cheat for your lightning bolts. I, I don't know. I, you know, I, d- I discount these decks out of hand because I'm not very good at playing them, first of all, and they're not really my style. So I wouldn't take my opinion that maybe this deck isn't that great too strongly. But talking about this path, it seems reasonable. It seems to be dodging what the format's about. And that's, that's when I will play Mono Red. When I find an angle where I'm like, oh, they just can't contemplate this mode of interaction. They have no pure life gain. But I don't know, since Uro's been printed, I have not found myself in a moment where I'm like, okay, I'm comfortable playing hard mono red right now.
1: Yeah, Uro definitely seems problematic, because even just gaining three life is like That matters solid. a lot. Like, as long as you're not putting the lightning bolt back on top of their deck or whatever.
2: So maybe you have to just be like experimental frenzy again, but then Mm -hmm. you have your vulnerability with your runaway steamkin. So I I don't know someone better than me with mono red can put this together, but I am seeing some principles that show a way forward for mono red. I'll say that.
0: Yeah. I think if you're playing Ember cleave in mono red, you're probably doing it wrong. I don't think that's the best way to approach this format.
2: I would agree.
0: Uh, More decks that could potentially use Thalia, mono white life gain or humans. We've seen, some multicolored human variants. We we have the mana for it between like Shocklands, Checklands, Unclaimed Territory, Ancient Ziggrot. The big problem is the lack of good one drops, really.
1: I and mean, we have Isamaru now. That's legal in Jumpstart. That ain't a human. Mm, that isn't a human, that's right. Okay, so we're talking about just the just humans? Yeah, that gets a little tricky.
0: So there's I think there's, there's like white aggro. Yeah, well, there's Dauntless Bodyguard, uh, Venerable Knight. I've seen some with like giant killer, Furban champion, etc. But like you know, the two drops, you have uh, Thalia, meddling mage, lieutenant. Right?
1: Is Thalia's lieutenant legal in jumpstart? I honestly did not know that.
0: No, I thought it was in one of the anthologies. I could be oh, wrong. Maybe about that, okay. Though. But you have uh, Benelish Marshall and uh, General Kudro, Kitesail freebooter, dire tactics. Like the deck has a lot of tools. It is just really missing out on ones.
1: I wonder if you could fix that with Ancient Ziggurat and just, like, one drops that are in other colors. Because that really... Yeah,
2: it's an an interesting puzzle. I haven't seen anything to draw me to this deck. Out of these two, like, I'm kind of more interested in mono-white life gain. There was a moment where I had a thought, like, well, if my life total gets big enough and I, like, in some way interact with the actual Reclamations, is there just a point that you can maybe outscale Team by playing mono-white? And the answer is no, because of Field of the Dead. But it was something I tossed around in my head and couldn't really find a way to put together. I don't know. I mean, these decks seem like they're there to be a bit of a red herring. And I think that casual competitive players, like people who want to win, but it's not only their primary goal, love these life gain setups. And I feel like that's what all these cards from Anthology are supposed to be enabling, more than a real legitimate threat to the format
1: so on the topic of life gain i played today i was playing like my Sultai field version so it's you know kind of already it's a totally different deck but has similar weaknesses to teamer at times where flyers can be really problematic because and magma quake not hitting it they only have some sharks whatever all can kind of add up to any big flying threats becoming a problem and just between healer's hawk and then there's um the angel from the core set that we never in standard got to pair with Heliod, but like in this format we could, maybe it kind of takes up that Linden spot that we have a lot of the time. Resplendent Angel, 3-3, three, three, and then you can pay a bunch of mana and give it plus 2, plus 2 in lifelink, and if you gained enough life, you make a um, an angel. That card actually kind of starts getting scary when there's a bunch of other life gain going on between like Daxus and maybe like the Soul Sisters type stuff. Soul Sisters specifically is actually pretty solid against goblins.
0: So I was, I was looking at the life gain deck today and there are enough good one drops that I think you can streamline the deck and play a mini life gain package while still having like venerated locks
1: Yeah, that sounds reasonable Cause, too.
0: Because the actual white one drops are not that good. You're still on the hook for like Dauntless Bodyguard and stuff like that. Whereas if you, you're just like, whatever, I'll just play Soul Warden, Sarah Ascendant, whatever the thing is that, that taps to make an angel if you're seven points higher than you're starting... Stuff like that. I I think that's a much better deck.
1: That sounds cool, too. I think there's something there. It just would take somebody who plays a lot of mono-white aggressive strategies to figure it out. And frankly, I've never done such a thing and will never admit to it. (laughs) Of course. Of course.
0: Well, I don't know. That was one of the decks I was looking at, and I'm certainly going to try it because when... One of the anthologies dropped a while ago. I got like all the Sarah's Ascendants and like Ranger of Eosas and stuff. And I played a little bit with that deck. So I, I have all the cards and I think it could be good. And now you're telling me this thing is best of one. Like it might be a, a great day one deck.
1: Especially if people are playing a bunch of Aethergoss. They can't yeah. sideboard them out.
0: Yep, exactly.
1: Um, and just as long as, it's, uh, as long as we're talking about just mono white generally, I played a bunch of best of one today. Mono white auras was a deck that i saw a ton of on the ladder and it looks like i only know i only recently found the person i think it's ginky g-i-n-k-y m-t-g on twitter posted this list and i'd like seen it retweeted somewhere maybe it was arena deckless and then and thought like oh that's cute and then didn't think too much more of it until i played against it over and over and over today and it's basically like a core spirit dancer deck that plays like selfless savior Elciate of life's bounty and then like Adanto Vanguard and Stonecoil Serpent does the things to suit up. And the deck is really resilient to what everyone else seems to be doing in the format, it feels like, uh, at least in best of one. Like, I assume you could adjust to it in post-board games, but if you're never getting there, like, it kind of dodges everything. Magma Quake is never going to hit anything out of this deck. Even if it does hit something, you have to cast it for a million because the creature is gigantic. Your shark is never going to ta- is never going to be big enough in time. So you really just have to focus on killing them. And Team Erect doesn't necessarily kill someone that fast it effectively yeah. wins a lot sooner than it actually wins so if they if you make one threat they can't stop it's kind of like they're you're playing boggles against them and they just lose
0: yeah that sounds interesting to me that that might also just be the thing for best of one
2: one thing that's becoming very clear in this conversation if nothing else is that there's blind spots in this format yeah like very clear oh, yeah. blind spots and if you can identify them for this weekend you really have a big edge on the field
1: Absolutely. I think, I mean, I think that this person did do a good job of identifying a spot where if the format is all about fighting teamer reclamation mirrors and people are playing like Thassa's intervention and magma quake, like play a bunch of cheap one, one drop, you know, white creatures, core spirit dancer and a ton of auras and make them so big that they can never interact. There's not a brazen borrower in sight in this format, even though that's like ostensibly a team or rec card, they just can't afford to play it anywhere.
0: All right. So I, I did some typey typey and did some research and it doesn't look like Thalia's Lieutenant is in the format. So oh, okay. I, I I thought I saw it in one of those sets, but I guess I was wrong. But also while looking at humans deck lists, I found someone with just gilded goose in their humans deck. It's <laughs> well, like, all loose right, is loose. That, that solves the, the one drop problem, I guess. Cool.
1: I will note, I would believe you on Thalia's Lieutenant being in the format solely because it it slowed down to about once every other day. I learn a new card is legal and historic. Yeah. Yep. Like some like Felix messaged me that Maelstrom Pulse is legal this weekend, and I was like, "What? When was that printed? Where is this?" And then I look, pulled it up, and like, sure enough, there it is.
0: Was that in one of the anthology sets? I think so. I thought it was.
1: It wasn't in Jumpstart, I don't believe, because I did. go yeah. I made a I made a point of actually going through
2: Jumpstart, so I at least would like recognize like, oh wait, this is actually legal. If someone tells me. It's just wild to have a format with like no conceivable basis for understanding what, like you've just thrown out all pretenses of we use logic to shape our formats and it's just, nope, you have to memorize this list, find out or don't participate. And that's the only way you can engage with Historic.
1: Did you know Gatherer doesn't have Historic either?
2: Well, we're a Scryfall family here. Nick, oh, I know. So I'm, I
1: am too. But it, somebody <laughs> told me that and I was just like, yeah, okay. I'm glad I bought Scryfall all the time.
2: Yeah, that's that's gas.
0: I went I went straight to Scryfall when I started looking at historic decks, and it was yeah. great, obviously. So, Scryfall for life. Next deck, Elves. This this kind of got some attention for like half a second.
1: Yeah, they got the new one drop. Um, Alis- is it like Allosaurus Shepherd or something like that? Who knows? It's like a one two. You're with. Questing Beast level of text for one mana. It's like it can't be countered. Your green spells can't be countered, and you can pay a billion mana and make all your creatures into five five dinosaurs or something.
2: That card is nice. Uh, this deck is not. It's worse, 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 worse. Goblins without yep. the really cool top end. So I mean, you get you do get else. the
1: Craterhoof Behemoth people. That's a cool top end.
2: It is cool. I, lo- I love Craterhoof Behemoth. Like I really do. One of my all time favorite Magic cards, but. You're not going to trick me into playing elves.
1: Yeah, there are better ways to hoof if you want to do that. Yep.
0: Well, in case you all haven't noticed, we are we're like in kind of the dregs of of the format of decks that probably aren't very good. So I'm going to continue with Jeskai Feather. Any any thoughts on that? That was just a deck I saw in a few places, and I'm just like, why?
2: Yeah, this deck put up good results this weekend. Actually, I think it lost in the finals of one of the tournaments. I actually think this goes back to the like Aura's principle, where it's just like, okay, play my one thing. It has flying. Team Urek can't deal with this. I'll force it through and protect it with God's willing and all this stuff. And that was good enough, I guess. It seems like there is a better way to execute this plan. All these decks, like we're basically floating around a very small number of core plans. And since the format is in its very early stages, there's a lot of similar ways to execute the same plan. And those are going to get crunched down. And I find it hard to believe that Jeskai Feather is the best way to execute this plan. I do believe you can do this thing, though, and have some level of success.
1: Yeah, Feather specifically strikes me as probably not the way to go, against, uh, to go about it. Because Feather was, Feather was always kind of like an anti-aggro deck more than it was an actual aggressive deck. Like it was the aggressive deck when it needed to be but it was right. never the Reckless, better. Addresses. Reckless
2: Rage. It felt like a right. Reckless Rage deck. Exactly.
1: Because what you were doing was preying on the other aggro decks by being a little bit larger and having a repeatable removal spell. I don't know what Reckless Rage is supposed to be good against. I guess it's kind of solid against goblins. Maybe. But I, I that's about it. That's the only thing I have. Like I guess the Auras deck probably doesn't want to see a Reckless Rage either, or like these mono-white decks or whatever, but that, that's such a small amount of the field. Meanwhile... It's-
0: it's gruel right like that's kind of like the only thing is is it even fast enough against gruel yeah why not maybe yeah i guess like you just have to get to turn four and
1: actually be able to like reckless rage and and uh and feather or whatever and then you might just be dead to like a primal might on something just crushing feather and then running you over or whatever yeah that's fair it feels like if you just want to be the bigger aggro deck just just be gruel
0: yeah I mean, regardless, I think the plan of build one big thing, get around Magma Quake, hopefully get around Aethergust, uh, hopefully people aren't playing Brazen Borrower, you know, like that does yeah. seem like a viable plan in this format. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Alright, what about Orzhov Vampires?
2: Or Mono Black? I haven't Black? seen this one. Yeah, I, didn't I don't this is I, not one. Have that you have to tell me about it.
0: No, it's just it's the old standard deck. Is just Soren is a magic card and you use that to do things.
2: Soren's good, but like Soren's like 2019 good, and there's 2020 cards around. So,
0: yeah, there is there's a fairly large disparity between 2019 and 2020. Let me tell you.
1: The only thing you could sell me on is that Adanto Vanguard is like somehow props this deck way up, and at that point, I kind of wonder why like we aren't just playing like mono white with a million one drops and then eight effective Adanto Vanguards, (laughs) like the standard mono white deck that did well. Yep. But instead of like some of the, you know, the worst one drops, you get like Isamaru or whatever.
0: Cool. So many thumbs up for Orsa Vampires. Uh, Any any Tempered Steel fans, that's another card that's like, okay, this is kind of cool. You have all the glitters as another very powerful payoff. And then you play a bunch of Ornithopters and actually just like very, very bad cards, obviously, to enable this.
1: Your, your explanation of the deck seems to have have told us things about the deck. It's like I assume we have Steel Overseer in here is like our other artifact payoff, and then
0: sure, yeah. I, I mean, I think that one is just like too slow and mopey to be good, even in a format with no removal. Just everyone goes so much bigger, so much faster than Steel Overseer.
2: So I've mostly made up my mind about this deck, but I do have one question: is is it a Venerated Loxodon deck too?
0: Uh, if not, it should be.
2: Yeah, that's the conclusion I quickly came to. Like there's the sizing thing going on. If you get your tempered steel down, it does a good job of getting like that's what I would focus on. I wouldn't have the steel overseers. It would be more about like creatures that get appropriately sized out of magmaquake range and then of course ornithopter flying above it anyway. And combine that with venerated loxodon, well, maybe that's enough to play through Team Erect, but again, just like dumpstered by goblins. You can do this a million different ways. You can do sizing a million different ways. And uh, I don't really see what Tempered Steel does better than the other ways to do it.
0: Cool. All right. Final deck. And this is only here because of Brian and the fact that he is named Tiny Bones in Zencaster today. Tell me me all about your, your Tiny Bones deck, Brian.
2: Look, I'm not here saying that Tiny Bones is the best magic card printed this year. I'm going to wait until the year closes. Are, are Nick and I both picking up this card at the same time? We are. Then I, 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 I will give I, credit I to, to Tiny Bones. It's so funny because it, it's not even, like if this card wasn't standard, I'd just be like, nah, I, I wouldn't care about it. But because it's called Tiny Bones and it's like weird and only in Jumpstart, I am very excited about it when I know I shouldn't be.
0: It is gas.
2: It's it a is, cool card. And I want to co- play it with It's a with cool card.
0: Not. The art is sweet. I don't know. I just want to, like, read stories about Tiny Bones. Not that they have any sort of lore anymore, but, you know.
2: Look, the day I can't find any joy in magic anymore, I'm going to wrap it up. I'm not going to keep doing this when it can't make me happy. And Tiny Bones makes me happy. Someone come up with a dope Tiny Bones deck. Break it. I will play Tiny Bones. Oh, you don't even have one. No, I'm not going (laughs) to spend my time doing that. I need someone else to do this for me. I played against the tiny bones and I was so excited for my opponent as I beat them to death, but I was really pleased with what they were trying to do. And there was a point where if they drew their sixth land, tiny bones was going to kill me, but they didn't. And they lost. And I don't know. this there doesn't seem like a good way to do any of this stuff, but it is fun. It is cool. And I really want it to be a thing. Okay, so we've got to play Tiny Bones and like the Stitcher Supplier
1: Package and Croxa and Phyrexian Citadel. Tower. And then that, the Citadel can power oh. out Tiny Bones' six mana ability. And oh, then no,
2: maybe We are, you can we are playing Tower. Yeah, you, you want Phyrexian Tower to ramp a little bit, which makes sense. Uh, I think the one I played against had like Liliana, Waker of the Dead, and okay. yeah, a bunch of cards that didn't really seem to fit in the format, along with Tiny Bones, which is. I mean, what do you think? Do you think it's a power? If you saw this in Standard, would you be excited about it? I I really don't think so. But in this context, it's been all I can think about, just constant tiny bones.
0: Well, it depends on how many ways there are to actually discard cards, right? It's like, I'm not going to jam this in my deck to try and, like, seize them or something. But if there's a bunch of, like, Vicious Rumors and Lilianas and a bunch of ways to do that and just kind of go off, then yeah, cool. Like, let's do it.
2: I've been on this quest to make the mono discard deck happen basically since Croxa came out, and it's just failed over and over and over, and it will continue to fail even with Tiny Bones in the mix. But I'm definitely going to get some Lilianas, some Davriels, Waste Knots, my spot discard stuff. Get Croxa in the mix and lose a whole bunch. But don't forget, don't forget yet. Vicious Rumors. That one's key. Thank you. Yes, constructed All Star Vicious Rumors.
1: So apparently, just as long as we're on the top of this card solely for it being cute and fun and interesting apparently since we don't get real lore anymore they um my chat informed me that like mostly because somebody didn't realize this was fake but the account during the jumpstart previews put out a thing that said that um the story of tiny bones is that when Erebus was killed or something and theros beyond death that tiny bones became the new god of the dead
0: and that's fake Uh
1: that's apparently fake, and I'm very upset by it. Because I was all oh. about the idea
2: that this, th- that this thing was the new god of death.
0: Yeah, that would be gas. Yeah. Be I awesome. was excited
2: for Tiny Bones to get their chance. That seems great. Do you know this nope. card costs $45? <laughs> <I just laughs> what? <realized? laughs> it, it,
0: costs, it costs one wild card to me.
2: I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, what, is... what is paper magic? What is money? What? How is that possible? I, I guess there's as many people who love Tiny Bones just as much as I do. It might just be that the product's hard to get a hold of.
0: Well, how it's, hard it's so probably, like that is
2: real hard to get a hold of
0: it's probably a a reasonable commander right i guess it is and each opponent at
2: each end step if an opponent okay maybe i don't know how much discarding is going on commander but
0: well if you have tiny bones as your commander i hope a lot does vicious
1: rumors say uh each opponent this each is the opponent. clutch <laughs> this is the clutch uh <laughs> tech the clutch commander tech Uh it is each opponent there we go. We've broken commander.
2: Yeah, but no, this is just if an opponent discarded a, t- a card this turn, not for oh, each damn. opponent. Yeah. So you want absolutely like, just, draw four cards or whatever. <laughs> you just want persistent discarding happening across everyone's turn. And I guess there's like Wheel of Fortune effects and things like that where it might happen somewhat reliably, but I'm not going to pretend to be a commander expert right now. I just know I love Tiny Bones. That's all that matters.
0: All right. Well, everyone can send Brian their favorite Tiny Bones related stories on Twitter or something. Make Lots sure to of tag Tiny in Bones lore. Post. Yeah. Or, or if you have any Tiny Bones official lore to fill in on. <laughs> There's a, a distinct lack of it. Apparently. Or or I guess in this case, Tiny Bones fanfic. That, <laughs> that could also play.
2: I am dreading what is about <laughs> to be in my inbox.
0: Awesome. Then we've done our job.
2: Well, of course, every week we go to our friends over in the Arena Decklist Discord and ask them for their burning questions. And if they come up with one that tickles our fancy, we will reward them with some type of trinket uh, when they aren't lost in the mail and difficult to find. We're gathering trinkets, though. At some point, there will be a wave of trinkets going to all of these great questions. And this week's great question comes from Quincognito, one of our Favorite cephalopods, and one of the people who keeps Scryfall running for us. So we appreciate Quinn quite a bit. And they want to know how deep are the tiers for this format in an actual tournament setting? How viable is it to play meta targeting decks over consensus best decks right now? And I think this is a really good question because we just spent a lot of time talking about a lot of decks. And obviously, there were some we felt very strongly about Team Urek, Goblins. We see them at the top of the format but there's all this other stuff floating out there and we're trying to prepare for this event this weekend. How seriously do we have to take all of this other stuff or can we just play these decks that are hard targeting team wreck goblins and that's it?
1: I think it's a really good question. It's one that I, I don't have like a fantastic answer for because I could really see kind of taking it in two di- two directions. One is his point, like how viable is a meta targeting deck? how How broad is the information that people are getting just from like ladder or... You know, if people aren't playing a ton, some people are playing every single day, tons and tons of games, but that can't possibly be the majority of people either. So there's going to be a lot of people who've only played some. They might be working off week old information and whatever. On the other hand, there's also, it's it's like information, when something starts spreading, it spreads instantly, right? This deck that I had never seen before, like a day or two ago, was... All over the best of one ladder today, that mono white auras deck. And I don't know if that means it's going to be heavily played on Saturday in best of one. If this just like maybe this, like it's just popular today and it won't be by tomorrow. It kind of feels like when there's a few different people who really set a lot of the metagame and it's probably best to pay attention to them. And so it's like fire shoes and croakies. And I assume that if. Uh, whatever the arena Decklist podcast is retweeting. Uh, if Jerry were to put out, you know, like this is my best of one deck, or this is what I'm playing registering this weekend. Just both days. Don't care. I would assume nah, that that's going to be a big part of the metagame, but nah, I would people, look more People don't to... listen to me. Nah, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> people absolutely listen to you and you know it. Like I would, I would say that like the, t- there aren't so much tears is like, it's almost like you should just look towards personalities. I guess is kind of my best answer for like this format because there's otherwise no data except for like the two
2: tournaments last week. But that's not unique in the history of Magic, right? Like I I can think of other scenarios. Like let's just go back a year and think about the SCG tour. Just look at what Lotus Box was doing and that's what was going to be everywhere. Like literally there were people flying from all over the country into... Oh, all the locations blend together. We were somewhere, and I met like four people who were like, yeah, Lotus Box said this deck was broken, and then I flew here because I was so sure of it. And this was like the breakout tournament for the Gilded Goose Urza deck. So that shaped that metagame, and there was like six copies in the top eight or something silly. And obviously, crokies has that effect on the ladder all the time. It It is a real way that information spreads in Magic. You just need to ask yourself... How valid is, is this information? And sometimes it will be very valid. It's, there's a reason these are the people who are followed. They're very good at what they do. But even when you're very good at identifying the best deck, you'll fail sometimes. And just as a consumer of magic media, you need to know when to trust yourself and when to put your faith in these people. But ultimately, you let them still shape things, right? They They have given you the target. They have told you this is what everyone else is going to be doing. And you really have to use that information. I think also to consider is like the structure of this tournament and who it's appealing to. We've only done this once before. And I only had one entrant into the day one last time. But it was while Jessica Luca was still legal. That's what I played. I went seven and two. I lost twice to a Jessica Luca mirror. I beat everything else I played against. On the next day, I... I think I went either two and two or three and two and only lost to Jeskai guy Luca and beat everything else I played against. But like the point is this deck was clearly broken, clearly the best thing to be doing. And a bunch of people were still making other suboptimal choices. And it speaks to the fact that a lot of arena players are not as plugged in as us long-term franchise players. And that's not a knock on them. It's just like they're finding their ecosystem. They're still exploring magic as competitive endeavor. Whereas we've built our finely curated list of, I listen to this person, this person, and this person. And then I'll take input from this person. And then I'll listen to this podcast. And then I'll see what's over on SCG. And I'll mush all those other things to come to a conclusion. For a lot of other people, that equation is much simpler. It's just, what did this person say? I trust them. Let's go. So I, I think that's a really uh, staunch effect on what you'll be seeing in this format, and I wouldn't expect when you're in the queues it to be hard condensed around Tymerek and goblins.
1: Yeah, I, uh, the other, the only other thing I might point out is just because there is kind of a broader appeal, I would as, like I ran into a lot of weird stuff when I played the the last one. I wonder how much cost is actually a big factor and that's always that's also not new to magic either but right now is not the best time economically in the United States <laughs> maybe we should say so it's probably a little bit more exacerbated than normal and also people don't necessarily want to throw tons of money to build every historic deck sure in <laughs> that that is legal either well, That's um, a good point so like it could be like maybe you have to parse that too that's why this mono white deck where you know, at a glance, I only spot like seven rare wild cards or whatever, and just the rest of its commons. Maybe that's why that suddenly appears, too. So yeah. It's kind of like, but that that could just be me reverse engineering a, a rationale for why,
2: too. No, I, and, I think that's a great point. I think that's definitely something to pick up on. There could be people who want to participate in this, but haven't really explored Pioneer yet. And then you ask, what is historic. my quickest entry point? All right. Thank you, Historic. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard to keep <laughs> them apart. It's awesome. Uh, but you ask. What's my quickest entry point? And it might be like, oh, I already own most of the Team Marek cards, or it might be, oh, this deck is 60 commons and I can go mm-hmm. this route. So yeah, I, I think that's 100% worth considering.
0: Especially in the context of these open tournaments, I really agree with what Nick said about you know, some some portion of the arena players not being super plugged into traditional sources of information or... I, I mean, it's it's either because they're relatively new, still getting their footing on Magic in general, or it's just like they, they just don't care, you know? Like they're just going about their business, playing with whatever cards they want to, and maybe following some personalities, but definitely not like all of them. And the open tournaments, as a result, tend to have like very, very odd metagames. So for something like this, I don't necessarily like the idea of like, trying to make a hard read on the metagame, if you can do a soft read where you select a deck based on it just like having naturally good matchups against the the top couple of decks, like in this case, Teemer and, and Goblins, then cool. But I would definitely not be hard targeting anything for this type of tournament because you are just going to slam into things that you hadn't even thought of or considered. And that's just a, a really dangerous proposition to get into, especially for a format that's relatively new, like historic and jumpstart is a very, fairly powerful set. And we've talked about how there are still a lot of things that have gone unexplored. I mean, one of the things that my opponent tried to do to me was like amplifier plus like the big cycling monsters and then like sleep and stuff. It's just like, okay, Cool.
2: That's a, that's a wild one. I mean, there's also infinite combos floating out there. W- yeah. What's the one? And is it, uh, it's, it's seen some play Nick. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, curiosity. niv it? Mm, yeah, that's one. There's, there's another one too. Oh, that wow. is escaping me in the moment. Uh, yeah, curiosity
1: so, Niv-Mizzet that's the other day. That I was that's, like, that's interesting. Okay.
2: Yeah. Th- I mean, there's other stuff out there too. And mm-hmm. I'm still kind of jaw dropped by curiosity. <laughs> Niv-Mizzet. it? is really, really cute.
1: It was a Jeskai deck, too. I was wow. like, the disrespect. Cat trying to cast blue, 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 red, red, red in one turn. And to fairy.
2: Wow. Okay.
0: There are there uh, a yeah. decent amount of dual lands. Just don't sure. put basic planes in your deck.
2: Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that that's a wild one. But there's other stuff like that, for sure. And probably undiscovered things, still. Like Tiny Bones. Like Tiny Bones.
0: <laughs> I
1: want to follow up with one one other thing, just because, like, you both of you seem to be saying don't hard target. Would you say don't hard target both days or just day one? Certainly day one. Definitely not day one.
0: I, I, again, I like a soft read better than a hard read here, but day two, I would expect to play against a lot of top tier, just not the entirety of, of day
2: two. I, I don't even like talking about these topics anymore, but like you have to say something about skill gaps. And I think that can probably also factor into your assessment of whether you want to make a hard read. Uh, I I think playing a deck like Team Aurek, you can cover a lot of skill gaps. And your concern as one of the better players who will be participating in day two might be to ask yourself, how do I beat the other good players? And give yourself a little bit more leeway to... Figure out games of magic. Like there's a reason we play the games of magic. There's a chance for expression and chance for you to leverage your skill and not closing that off in day two, where I think there will be a very big disparity. Like you're going to have people like Jerry or PV in day two, and then there's going to be people who are just kind of discovering arena. And again, not to disparage them in any way, but there's a gap there. And maybe taking away to consider that uh, when you get to day two as well pushes you in the direction of another hard read just saying i think the best players are going to play team of reclamation that's where i'm going to stack my deck
1: yep that that is currently my thinking personally is to i probably will register totally different decks day one and day two if i had to take a guess because i really want to just slant to beat team of reclamation and play a strategy that otherwise like is resilient enough to be good against the rest of the field and then I can just leverage the sideboard basically post board against team erect. whether that's team Iraq itself or something else. I don't know yet.
0: But, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think my current plan is to just play something uh maybe like mono white auras that is very strong and best of one and then sort of reevaluate for day two. I mean, I would, I would love to play this team Iraq deck Uh would just have to find a better sideboard than a lot of the sideboards out there. I think because a lot of them don't do a good job of covering the field, but yeah, day, day one might just be like, all right, let's, let's hammer some people. Let's see if we make day two and let's try and exploit the fact that this is best of one and then just go from there.
1: That also has the advantage of being
0: over really quickly. If you're only taking one shot.
2: <laughs> Very true. I would like to say
0: I'm only going to take one shot, but we'll see.
2: I have faith in you only taking one shot. We'll see if you, you prove me wrong.
0: I might take zero. Who knows?
2: Right, I, I think that is as likely an outcome as one shot. Seeing you grind like ten shots into this tournament would really shock me. I don't think there are enough hours in the day for ten shots, but could make it. Well, happen. maybe if you're playing mono white or ors, you might be able to get it done.
1: If you owe two a lot,
2: <laughs> that's oh yeah, two two on
1: shots.
0: Yeah, that's that's probably fair.
2: We'll see how many bullets I have in me then. Yeah, I think I got two. I
1: don't, I don't think I, I don't think I'm going to try more than twice. I would guess. I just don't care enough <laughs> about a tournament that doesn't qualify for anything, etc.
0: Fair. All right, Nick, thanks for doing the cast again. Yeah, Obviously, absolutely. always a pleasure. You're great. Uh, tell tell people about you and where to read your stuff and whatnot, because I don't think we did that last time.
1: Uh, I mean, we might have. I just didn't do anything
0: yet. <laughs> uh, oh, that might be true.
1: I didn't start writing for TCG Player for four months. So uh, if you don't know who I am, uh, I am Nick Prince. I am a writer for TCG Player. I write weekly. Uh, I have now started streaming at twitch.tv slash NickNPrince. Uh, if you want to go follow me, I appreciate it. I just got affiliate or whatever because I really only started streaming just because, I mean, frankly, quarantine has me kind of out of things to do. <laughs> so I'm picking this back up again. Uh, otherwise, you can follow me pretty much all the time, all day, 24-7 on Twitter at twitter.com slash Prince. That's it.
0: That's just that's good branding. Having yeah, the that's same just thing. hashtag
1: good branding. Also, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I got nothing else. Where else are you going to find me? You're not going to find me in an S- at an SEG tournament anytime soon. You're not going to find yeah, me fair. at a, your local Grand Prix. You're not going to find me at the grocery store if I could help it. Like,
0: Well, somehow, uh, well, I know I know the reason why. is like when, whenever I would like watch uh, Twitch recently, it would be on my TV, not logged into my account, but I, I just followed you now. So Aww. there you go. Thank you. Be like me. Go follow Nick. Nick is gas. He's Thanks. If he's gas enough to be on this podcast... You know, you know that you should be watching them.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that a lot.
0: <laughs> no, you're I mean, you we we appreciate you. You know, like you do a lot of rad things. You're smart. You put out a lot of good content. You're you're eloquent, you know. You you are very good at podcast and written mediums. You're kind of crushing it. So, we're Thanks. we're happy to have you, man.
1: I appreciate both of you to a lot, too. It's been it's been great like just having you both to to chat with or play League of Legends or whatever during during quarantine cuz kind of a weird time
2: it's it's been great having you come do my job for me and carry this
1: cast
2: (laughs) (laughs) so the feeling is mutual i i mean i'm i
1: was the one who wanted to play teferi so maybe i'm just the the new brian
2: yeah just step in for me that's probably the best (laughs) for everyone involved
1: (laughs) Eh, i don't think i can do your job you're way smarter
0: than i am Um, i'm i'm marking this down for potential uh
2: future use there you go I've given my endorsement. If if bad things happen to me, Nick is to take my place. That is or, my or my good passing wish. I hope that never happens. Or, or good things. Or good things. It could good be good. Things. Things, I've man. kind of disqualified that possibility at this point. Like, are there still good things that happen to people? I forgot all about this. Yeah, that's fair. Me too. A mm. well, little too real. <laughs> <laughs> On that bright note,
1: you should probably sign us out of here, Nick. All right. I think last time I was really quiet, so I'm going to go loud. Do it. That's game. <laughs> good luck